Welcome to UCYP, where we have uphill conversations with young professionals. Real conversations with bright, forward-thinking YPs. You know, every generation is different than those who've come before. And rather than generalities, we want to hear unique, individual perspectives of the generation that's currently on the rise. We want to elevate the voices, talent, and contributions of YPs in order to build a bridge to connect the past, present, and future generations, helping them to be heard, to be understood, and ultimately, to see them lead. So hello, everyone. Welcome to UCYP, episode seven. And uh, we have a great show in store for you today. We have two wonderful gentlemen who are making their way in this big, wide world and making waves in the universe. Um, we have with us Harold Hughes and Ben Moore. Mm-hmm. Harold's with Bandwagon, and um, Ben is with T-Form and Parametric. Yes. Not Parametric, just Parametric. No, or a Paramedic. Or a Paramedic. <laughs> that <could> be, <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. Well, I, mean, I he, feel like spell check is probably not his friend. Yeah, it's not because, yeah, I can see people going, what did he say? Yeah, Paramedic? paramedic? <laughs> yeah. It'd be like, no, you, yeah, because if you put Parametric, it would be automatically, not even spell check. Like if you're texting someone, mm-hmm. hey, call Ben at... Right. Parametric, it would be like parametric, and someone would be <laughs> on the internet going, "There's no such thing," <laughs> you know. But he did let us know to make sure that we watch out for that. But hey, they were great guys. They were really, really wonderful to have in the studio. Well, we had a great conversation with them. But before we go into that, you know, Megan, there was this neat um, article that um, that you found, which we'll share. Right? We're mm-hmm. gonna let's put it out there for people to see. But it was around this whole concept of helicopter parents. Yeah. And so I'm sure that a lot of us have heard that term, helicopter parents. Um, I mean, it's basically those parents who just from the time that their kids were little, they're just very, very involved in their children's lives. So, um, you know, it's that picture of the mom who is standing there just in case her kid falls. So, it's it's interesting that when you're young, a helicopter parent might be someone who would maybe call the principal, or if you got a bad grade, maybe they'd call your teacher. Um, and even in college, maybe if you didn't get in, they'd call the admissions officer. So there's this interesting phenomenon that really surprised me that a lot of parents of millennials who are in the workplace are actually calling those people's bosses or HR managers to discuss compensation or, um, you know, really just saying, hey, I want to look out for my child and I'm contacting you because. Um, So I I was really surprised to hear about that. But this article, I guess it's not that uncommon. Yeah, I had, I remember um, there was, this was, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, but I had someone that was working with me as an executive assistant and they Mm -hmm. were um, you know, a young professional and, but I would get a call every now and again from their dad. Right. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I just, I, like I, on my cell phone, right. <laughs> like just talking about, Hey, like, Hey, they need time off or mm-hmm. they need this schedule thing or Hey, like asking about something that seemed to not go right. Mm-hmm. And it really ruined. Um, I mean, they were, this young professional was very gifted, sharp, a lot of skill, mm-hmm. talented, you know, and I was like so excited. But the more that happened, mm-hmm. it just was 
I didn't know how to work with it anymore. And then I finally said, I was like, sir, you, you don't work here. Right. They do. And you're talking to me about these things that I don't even feel comfortable discussing. Well, I'm, I'm their dad. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but you're, why am I going to talk to you about this? Right. Well, and the interesting thing about this article is it says, you know, it's time to land the helicopter. You know, your kid, it, they're working, they're out in the world. It's time to land the helicopter. So the interesting thing is a lot of companies, they are doing things to try to bring parents more into the picture because the millennial generation, we have very strong ties to family. And um, there's a really, a fairly high percentage of young professionals and millennials who actually look at one of their parents as being one of, as their best friend. So, um, but, but really it's just that thing where you're putting the employer in a bad spot because you can't really disclose information about, um, that your, your child who happens to be, you know, their employee, um, and, and, at the end of the day, you're not really helping them out. So um, just we'll share this. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this, your feedback, if it's ever happened to you. Um, if you're someone who maybe has a helicopter parent, um, have, have you run into this? Have you had to overcome this even in, in your journey, um, in your young professional career? But we bring it up because it's such a stark contrast to yeah, these two guys that we interviewed. Um, you can just really tell they are, um, they're really doing some interesting things in the world and they've really stepped out on their own. And in the work that they're doing, you know, they're both entrepreneurs. They've started this co-work space. Um, they're involved with two different organizations that are all about um, helping other entrepreneurs and startups succeed. They're really building their own community. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they've landed the helicopter. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel like they, I mean, I'm sure if we dug deeper into it, they would, I, I can tell both of them have come from just a good dynamic mm -hmm. of being connected to parent guardian or someone that led them. Mm -hmm. um, but they just, they do this, they just do their work. And, but they're so, what I love is just this whole community idea of how they even build in like an exclusivity type thing. So even in this co-workspace where they've started this co-workspace, mm -hmm. um, each in their own little lane that they have with their businesses they do, but they even protect each other to make sure that the people that are in the co-workspace don't feel threatened, right. which once again shows that security, that that community um, as you're leading and as you're going forward and doing things and you're trying to get to your next level, they built this, you know, it's, it's not circling the wagons, mm -hmm. but it's protecting the community. You, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that, that was like, it, it was very, you know, for me, a um, eye opening kind of thing because mm -hmm. um, you don't see that often. Yeah. And they talked a lot. They use the word tribe a lot. And you'll um, hear that in the interview. They really talk about building their tribe and these people who, you know, they're all kind of going in the same direction, even though maybe they're all doing different things and all getting around um, similar ideas and just working together. Um, but before we jump into the interview, just wanted to remind everybody that if you haven't yet, make sure that you go to our Facebook group. 
group uh, for UCYP and join that group and then share the posts that we're putting out there using the hashtag UphillYP. We still have a couple of really awesome um, Yeti tumblers to give away. And um, also just remember to be a part of the conversation with us. We want to hear from you, um, share things that you're interested in, and you can always connect with us on Twitter as well um, at the UCYP. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into this great interview we had with Harold and Ben. We have some incredible guests with us here today. Uh, we have Harold Hughes from Bandwagon and Ben Moore from T-Form and Parmetric. So I would love it if both of you could just introduce yourselves and let us know what's going on in your worlds. So thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Uh, as the CEO of Bandwagon, we're really excited about upcoming football season. So we're looking forward to the Clemson fans and the Georgia fans and everybody who's really, really excited excited uh, to be getting ready for tailgating recipes and figuring out where they're going to be seating. And so that's our number one focus right now. And then aside from that, uh, Ben and I are working on all kinds of other business ventures. And so really juggling as many balls as possible has really been uh, the thing we focused a lot on right now. Cool. Yep. Yep. Thank you for having us here. And uh, working for uh, two manufacturing startups is uh, is challenging. So one being T-Form, just central around uh, packaging and manufacturing with uh, technology to make it a lot faster, easier for the customer. And keeping that same concept for Parmetric, where we make it easier to get your ideas delivered, whether it be sheet metal, machining, new product development, streamline the design and engineering, and then pair technology with manufacturing again to get it done. Awesome. Well, well, um, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about um, both of you. I think it's um, very neat that you form this great connection and you're working together to bring uh, startups, co-work, um, space here to the upstate. So I'm just going to dive right in. So both of you being entrepreneurs that are leading startup businesses, um, when did each of you know you had something unique to offer and what gave you the confidence to execute on those ideas? Um, <clears throat> working for other uh, engineering manufacturing companies mm -hmm. um, is more product-based. So you got uh, a, a product, almost like a company sometimes, where you start from ground zero, you uh, build it until uh, you grow it to something a lot larger. So we did that, or did that for uh, a number of years and went through a program called Founders Institute mm -hmm. that really gave me the, uh, the kick in the pants to uh, really go out and do it. So I was able to... Uh, bootstrap a company um, out of graduation from uh, that course, and that's really the, uh, the breaking point for me. For me, it was really simple. I've made a product out of need. Uh, as a sports fan, I was trying to go to the Ole Miss football game in fall of 2014, and I wanted to sell my Clemson ticket, and I had two really um, simple rules. One, I wanted to sell it for more than face value because I wanted to be able to finance the trip because I didn't have much money. And number two, I wanted to sell it to another Clemson fan. And so uh, through all my research, I couldn't find a platform that let me get market value for my Clemson ticket mm -hmm. and protect home field advantage. And so that's when I started doing some tinkering and looking at well, what would this platform look like if it you know if it did exist and so I was working on it in the evenings and the part-time um, after I finished my MBA and then shortly after that as, as Ben mentioned we met in the Founder Institute so in May of uh, or in fall of 2015 we actually right. went through the program and I was able to kind of test it out and say well this would actually work pretty well and so through launching it and surveying people we actually found 
other people would use this and they'd use it in different ways. And so validating my idea really came from having conversations with real people and figuring that out. So for me, it was born out of need and then figuring out, you know, how would other people use it to fit their needs as well? So did you, you know, when you think about that, I mean, you both are doing, and I like it, it's just very different with, with, with your approach. But what I like is just your investigative part. Like, so in your world, in the way you kind of went about it and how you, you know, explored that, like what's your, what was your exploration like in, in really getting to the thing that you, you know, takes time, you collect your evidence, you know, theories are good, evidence is better. But in that process of doing that, like, you know, what were some of the steps that you took to really get to that point where you said, hey, this, it's not just, it doesn't just make sense, but when I put it to work, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I was able to get the confidence I need to continue on it. In other words, it gives you the confidence to even continue with more risk because everything you're doing is risk, right? right? right. So you're doing a calculated risk now. You're getting right. better. So walk us through that. One of you or both of you, how, however you want to do it, but just share with us, like, how did you get there, build that confidence, stepping into more risk, but just your process of doing so? For, for me, it was really important to establish credibility early. Uh, one of the things I like to say as a startup is that it's important for you to appear bigger than you are and in some cases appear more knowledgeable than you are. And so for us, it started out as saying, well, I'm going to tell everyone what we're working on and what we're building at Bandwagon. And so that allowed us to kind of create a credibility in Greenville and the Southeast and in the marketplace as, oh, there's a startup company that wants to find a way to help fans have a better game day experience, starting with the seat and then expanding beyond that between tailgating and book lodging and all that other stuff. So the first step was establishing credibility by telling people what we were working on. We didn't want to get into a bubble and protect it and keep it really near and dear to us. We wanted to tell everyone we are working on it. And the good thing about that is it allows a couple of things. Number one, it allows people to, when they think of ideas, they say, oh, this would probably be helpful for Harold. I'm going to tell him. Number two, what that does is it helps people work for you for free. So you've got thousands of people <laughs> yeah. who are working for you yeah. thinking of ideas on your behalf, and they feel like they're part of it, and they're part of building that that tribe or that community. And so the next thing for us was definitely in validating our, our assumptions. And so to your point, um, evidence is really valuable. So the number one thing we did once we had that uh, tribe was go directly to them and say, what do you currently do? And mm -hmm. what's your current alternative? And how do you solve this major problem? And how big of a problem is this? Is this a problem you'd pay 10 bucks for? Is this a problem you pay 20 bucks for? And so really getting all that information, and we're talking about thousands of data points. Um, and so through that surveying process, we were able to not only create the credibility to make us feel confident, but by knowing that we had talked to real live people mm -hmm. who would pay money, we knew that we had a potential business on our hands. And so from there, it was all about risk mitigation as far as, you know, when do you leave your job? When do you start taking on outside capital, if any? And so really trying to tie those things up was really, really important in that process. Good. Yeah. You, uh, you had one major good point, which I thought was the uh, tell everyone your idea, which is um, exactly what we did at T-Form as well. We told our customers what we're trying to build, um, let them know that we're trying to solve their problem of getting packaging quicker, sooner, faster, cheaper. Um, and they were on board with that. The only problem was you needed a plant to prove that. So the credibility came at a little bit of a price. We had to um, spend the capital equipment to build a plant, build machinery, um, get the machinery operational, train people to run it, to get to a critical mass where you can prove, yes, we can execute fast and then start gathering feedback. So for us, we had a lot bigger of a hill to climb to get there to showcase, yeah, we can solve your problem um, without it being theory. 
And I think that that's really interesting that both of you talked about sharing your idea because I think a lot of times people who have big ideas, they try to hold them and keep quiet about them. Mm -hmm. But I think that what happens is so many times people keep them quiet for so long that nothing ever happens. But don't you think that it takes some bravery too and a lot of risk to put your idea out there because... Not that every idea is going to get taken, but there are other people listening. So, I mean, was that a concern for you guys? Um, It was probably at first, and we have a lot of people ask us that question, too. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people want to get something patented um, is a big thing. Can I go talk to a patent attorney first? Mm -hmm. Um, So it it is a major concern, and it's it's something hard for a lot of people to swallow to tell everyone your idea. And nine times out of ten, they're not going to steal it, and they do want to help you. So. And even when you look at it to a bigger extent, the main thing that you need to look at is if the product or company or idea is going to be knocked off, when would you rather it be knocked off? Hmm. Would you rather it be knocked off if I'm sharing a coffee with you and my investment is $5 and one night's sleep? Mm -hmm. Or would you rather it be knocked off once I've cashed in my 401k, quit my job, downsized in house Mm -hmm. and, and mortgage some of the property? So it really comes into the risk part of it when you look at it. It makes more sense for me to lose my shirt today instead of losing my house tomorrow. So Mm -hmm. if simply sharing your idea would cost a person to say, oh, wow, that's interesting. I never thought about toasting bread. I'm going to make this machine, too. (laughs) It's really, really easy for someone to knock it off. Then you're probably going to get knocked off later anyways. Mm -hmm. So you really need to figure out, well, how do you mitigate that risk or how do you better proof your idea so that you can stay competitive? Well, without sounding too formulaic, like I don't want to sound like it's like a perfect formula, mm-hmm. right? What you said was great. It's better to lose my shirt today than yep. the house tomorrow. Absolutely. Right? That's that's beautiful information, right? Right. But one size does not fit all ever, right? So w- w- talk about flexibility as far as your flexibility in your idea. How do you move with that? Because hearing that, like, I mean, I do the same thing when I'm speaking in front of somebody and I say some stuff and people receive it. And it's like, wow, that's awesome. And I can think about that. But they may look at it from, you know, maybe the exactness of what I just shared is not going to be the best for them, right? So if you put that back into your world, right, and you're mitigating risk, Mm -hmm. talk about your flexibility in that process. Like in your mindset, being young professionals and help other people who are young professionals as well understand being flexible. How important is that? Like what are you tied to? You know what I mean? It's like I tell people all the time, are you – is it the idea of marriage? That's why you're getting married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. You know this is an imperfect person, right? right. <laughs> and so are you, by right. the way, right. right? So it's the same thing, the idea of business, the idea of your idea, right? How, how do you do the flexibility part of that to where it doesn't sound like, take my formula and do this? I love what you said because mm-hmm. that's the truth. Mm-hmm. But in there lives that information as to how you navigate that to not lose the house right? as you gave up. Your shirt. Absolutely. And so to that point, you think about it, it's really about figuring out what your goal is. And so if you focus, our our number one goal is to optimize the fan experience on game day. Like that is what we're driving to. And so if I tell you, hey, we're building this platform to make fans have a better time on game day. You say, oh, it's pretty cool. How do you do it? Well, we actually help them figure out where what seats are in the shade, what seats are in a family friendly section. And they can probably save some money and do all these different things. I don't have to show you how I do it or tell you how I do it, but the most important thing is, you know, I tell my team, we talk about it constantly, our North Star is the fan experience. So when we think about the decisions that we're making, when you speak about flexibility, is figuring out, well, 
which things can we move on and which things will take us off course of that North Star. And so as we add different things or change different things, we've had to pivot since we started in our last couple of years. And so it's been important for us to say, okay, as long as we're moving towards our North Star, we're good. And so that flexibility really is deviated by um, how well-defined your outcome is that you want or who your customer is and what your main problem you're trying to solve is. And so I love how these um, startups, which I guess aren't even really startups anymore, like Facebook and Google, they say Google says, yeah, we want to organize the world's information. And it's like, can you mm-hmm. imagine how outrageous of a statement that is? <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I, I'm just dealing with my kid's room. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm trying to organize my, my car right now. Yeah. And, and so you think about that. I mean, that's huge. But Everything that they're trying to build is allowing them to kind of do that, and then they're killing off things that don't necessarily work along that side that. So really sticking to your focus or your mission, I think that really helps control your flexibility to a point. And so you brought up Google and Facebook. So uh, that just leads me into another thought. Uh, Both of you are obviously very involved with startups. And um, I know you both helped bring One Million Cups here to Greenville, which I want to get back to. But in just startup culture, I think it's something that a lot of people have this perception of, um, but it can be extremely varied from company to company. So what do you think are the biggest misperceptions of what it's like to work at a startup? Um, I think uh, a lot of people want to start a business and they have the, I want to work, you know, a half a day and sit in a hammock the other half. Mm-hmm. And that half a day is at least actually 12 hours a day. It's truly half days. So the misconception that you're just going to let a lot of other people do a lot of work, it's going to be an easy road. Um, it's, it's not going to be that way. It's going to be a lot of hours, a lot of heartache, a lot of um, decisions that are difficult to make that you have to make very quickly, hope they pan out. Um, and then, like Harold said, you know, change change what you're working on. Maybe pivot a little bit, uh, make small adjustments, and continue working. And you know, extremely hard, a lot of long hours, and uh, a lot of misconception there on maybe how easy a startup is. You just build an app, you put it in the app store, you sell it, and you make a lot of money. Right. And um, it's getting more difficult to even um, match an app to maybe a process, match an app to something that someone doesn't see in your niche area. So mm-hmm. it's uh, getting a little bit more difficult just to do a, a technology startup. You have to have some background in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we look at that in the same way. I mean, even when we think about our co-working space, like people think that there's just going to be beer flowing, beer pong, and <laughs> like table tennis, nap table pods. tennis, nap yeah. pods, which we did look at the cost of. Yeah, the nap pods are too expensive. So we need to find a good deal of yeah. a nap yes. pod, let me know. So it's going to be sleeping bags. Please let us know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like yeah, the nap pod. A power nap, 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's so, amazing you can do it 15 minutes. Right? Startup culture is unbelievable as you watch TV and listen. So some of that stuff definitely. <laughs> um, well, tell us a little bit about One Million Cups. I'm just curious about how it works, how you guys got, you know, found out about it, and what inspired you to bring it to Greenville. So One Million Cups is a Kauffman uh, Foundation-backed program that really wants to energize, educate, and connect entrepreneurs. Uh, I had the fortune of being able to present to them, I think, last July in Columbia. My brother had already spoken down there before, and he said, oh, you should come and tell um, the folks here about what you're working on. It was really a great concept. It was a six-minute presentation and then 20 minutes of question and answer, which, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a big fan of feedback and getting um, you know information from potential users. And so that was a great uh, forum for me. And so when we went down there, we said, man, Columbia has this. Why doesn't Greenville have it? We're definitely looking at all these different startups and all the different infrastructure that's up here. So I actually came back from that and talked to Ben about it. And Ben had actually went down to Charleston, right? Yeah. Um, I went to Charleston after that. And then uh, 
took Phil Yanov down there as well and mm-hmm. showed him and said, why can't we bring this to Greenville? Harold and I are talking about this. Let's get some people on board. Right. So then we, uh, that was the summer of last year, and it took about six months of mm-hmm. hard work between Harold and I to get the team together, uh, build the tribe that would support it, build enough uh, supporting people in the community to actually show up on day one. And you do a lot of work, and you hope that day one you open doors and people are going to be there. Right. And, and it was um, we actually filled out the little space that we were in, which yeah. was nice. Absolutely. Neat. And have you seen anyone who's presented, I guess, in Greenville go on and continue to see success? Um, what 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 have you seen so far in that experience? So we've seen a lot of people present um, at Greenville and then present to other cities as well. Okay. So they will go to um, Charleston, Asheville. I think Rock Hill has a chapter as well. So they uh, it is a good presentation platform to get your get your name out, get your company's name out, get a lot of feedback, and get feedback in different cities. So we have seen a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, even specifically, we had a company uh, called Pursuit Alert that came through and presented their idea. And shortly after that, they, you know, were t- you know quit the job that they were working on and <laughs> said, we're going 100% on this. Uh, now they're an SCRA-backed company, an SC uh, launch client company like we are. And so it's great to see, like, those startups that are being uh, created here in Greenville, especially in technologies you wouldn't normally think. Um, we're automotive, we're real estate, we're manufacturing. And so trying to find ways to push that limit. So One, one Million Cups gives you the opportunity to talk about those types of things. But we've also had people come and talk. Um, I think we've had politicians or city councilmen talking yeah. about yeah. electric cars in Greenville and how do we become more green. And we've had all kinds of different ideas. And so it's been really interesting to just have an open forum for people to get out of their bubble, step out of the coffee shop they work from or at home and really just say, hey, I'm going to talk to 40, 50 people on a Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday morning with some coffee. I want to get feedback. And you'd be surprised by the perspectives that you get from different people because they all have different lenses. So that's what we really look at as a huge opportunity for One Million Cups is it giving those entrepreneurs who get up in front of that group to say, I want to get a bunch of feedback and take a step back and get some perspective. And it is good. The audience is a good mix of people, um, age, um, different um, backgrounds in terms of what they did for work and uh, professions. And we've had about, what, 25, I think, companies roll through uh, so far this year, and we'll start again this fall. This month, yeah. Well, and I think what's really neat about that is, like you said, it pushes people to, you know, get out of their comfort zone and get up in front of a group of people, put together your thoughts in a very concise time frame, and then really be vulnerable and open yourself up to some great feedback. And I think it is that whole idea of you can have this great idea of something, but you have to actually put it out there and test it and, you know, get other people's feedback and perspective to know, to not only build your confidence, but help you fill in some of those, some of those gaps. Um, you mentioned uh, the collective at Society Hall, the co-work space that the two of you founded. Um, Tim actually did a presentation there, mm-hmm. I want to say, a couple months ago. It's a really great, great space. So from the outside looking in, though, to me, it seems like co-work spaces continue to sprout up in Greenville. So what caused you guys to decide to get involved in the co-work space here and what um what about the collective at society hall makes it unique so i'll tell a little bit about what we started and ben can force out a little bit uh for us starting it made a lot of sense uh, we needed an office because we were a growing team he needed an office because they were a growing team and so aside from getting um some uh class a office space and being set off to ourselves we wanted something that was more collaborative so inside um the collective you have um uh, 
bandwagon. You also have T-Form, and you also have Greenville Sports League, and you also have um, One Garage Over. And so you have all these different types of companies where you got a group of people who are essentially like coworkers that aren't close enough to your product to or your company to be biased by your views of it. So you can turn to them and ask for feedback with a unique background. So for us, it made a lot of sense to say, how do we get as many unique perspectives in one room and find a way that it's not going to break the bank from a um, monthly amount? And so that was why we ended up doing it. And to your point, we do think that there are a bunch of co-working spaces. Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing more of them that have really niches, one that wants to focus on one group or another group. And so that's kind of why we're saying, well, what else can we do to yeah. help the community? So and that's, and that's what we did. We actually tried to find a fit the need of community and business, tie mm-hmm. the two together. So we brought uh, a lot of organizations into the uh, our event space so we can um, host events and let uh, Lead Her Group host, uh, PDMA, mm-hmm. uh, Founders Institute, One Million Cups. And you get really the community um, and business to pair up really nice together. And that way you get uh, people collaborating together. And then that transitions all the way down and funnels down into the co-working space. Do you feel um, the what are the what would you say the challenges are with um, just the people, right? It's personalities. Mm-hmm. So once again, you're back to an idea. Go workspace, yay! Love that. Let's all work together. Mm-hmm. I would do that. Sure, you want to? Absolutely, right? So you start to, <laughs> but then you start getting into the real world of it, right? How do you continue to improve the relationships? You know what I mean? Not only just with, you know, your team, your team, the different people that are with you, but just, you know, keeping it to where you, um, I mean, you're going to have problems. You cannot say to me, we've not had one problem because that'd be like, I'd be as afraid of you saying that you never had an argument with a girl you said you want to marry. You know what I mean? I'd be like, have an argument today. <laughs> like, go start one. Right? Find out what it looks like. So how do you guys not only nurture it, but also with that, how do you also manage some of those, you know, those points where it's kind of like, hmm, we're not clear, you know, we're not, we have some friction here. So how do you make friction into a positive experience? For us, we really looked at it and thought, well, as long as we're open and setting expectations early on, like any relationship, setting those expectations is really important. So one of the things that we decided early on was that we weren't going to have competitive businesses in the space. So... Um, Alex has a company uh, called Mountain, and he does video production. There will not be another video production company in our space. And for that is really important because we want Exclusivity Alex... Exclusivity is yeah. where you're well, basically yeah. at. Well, not only that, but it allows Alex to feel comfortable sharing with us right. and to talk to us about his clients or ask us for feedback on a project without thinking that someone may overhear and try and go price that, that client. So it's really important for us to have that. We're only going to take you as that you know independent contractor. But then also when you look at the type of personality in the space, um, we have people who are there on Saturdays and Sundays. And on Fridays, we do our wind downs where we go around the room, everybody grabs a beer and we go over wins. And you want to be able to go and say, well, this this week, I added another week of runway. We're going to keep the lights on for one more week. Or <laughs> I doubled that customer um, engagement contract. So we really want to try and make it really inclusive and involved. But we also use a lot of different things. We do testing Tuesdays where the companies in the space can actually say, hey, I'm going to bring in some pizza. I just rolled out this new feature. I'd love for you guys to give me some feedback. And we do that in the afternoons and say, hey, we'll grab a beer and just do that kind of stuff. So it's really uh, deliberate inclusion in that way to make sure that you're uh, making sure everyone feels invited. I mean, the most outrageous thing we've had is that we've come up with a company that we want to start, like eight of us in right. the space. <laughs> cool. And we're, we're 
uh, going to get funding from pretty much everyone in the space is going to give a little bit of funding and then a little bit of a skill set. Right. So you do have someone like Alex with Mountain, with, which we've used for mm -hmm. T-Form and Parmetric, um, to, to basically band together to build your little team. Everyone's got a good skill set, and we have a good chance of being successful. So not only is everyone getting along for the most part, they are working together for the most part to the point they want to do something new, which is, yeah. which is big. So we think that's pretty exciting. That is, that's really exciting. And outside of that, which is probably something that's been unexpected along the way um, as entrepreneurs and in this whole startup co-work space, what has been the most unexpected thing outside of that about your journey so far as an entrepreneur? I mean, for me, I think the most <clears throat> unexpected journey really boils down to um, my timing. It was just so imperfect. Mm -hmm. uh, to put it in perspective, we did a ribbon cutting ceremony last August as we got ready for our first football season. So August 16th, we were cutting a ribbon and August 18th, I was cutting an umbilical cord. Uh, <laughs> my, my, son, my son was born. And so you think about it from a timing standpoint is that it takes even longer than you think to make the money. Um, it's it's going to cost more um, than you think it would. And so really the, the biggest surprise was like all of the little challenges that changed the timing um, versus, you know, or, a tenant at a rental property. Well, that affects my internal burn rate. So does, mm -hmm. does that mean that I go without or what do we do with the business? And so it was really lots of different things that affect the timing. So I, I think it comes down to the fact that there's no perfect time to start a business, right. but as much as you can be, be sure to prepare for the financial side of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that probably would have alleviated some of the stress I had, um, starting it and even up to this morning, you know, that kind of thing, you know, still sticks <laughs> yeah. with you. So it's a, it's an everyday thing. Every it's, day. it's not a, it's not going to be just a, a one-time event. And I think that's what people do is like, they go into life kind of, like I said, it's the idea of something. Mm -hmm. Okay. Don't do the idea of something. Do the, like, ask yourself this, if this goes horribly wrong, what it will look like. So stop doing pre-mortems, do post-mortems. Mm -hmm. That's what I tell people. Do post-mortems. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Right. You know what I mean? Well, that's what they do. If somebody dies, they have an autopsy. Right. Why? They're trying to figure out what happened. Well, that, what if you were to say, if I were doing these things, what if you just go ahead and post mortem out, not to put yourself in fear, but to think about those steps? And I like what, but the reason I'm bringing that up is because by thinking post mortem, mm -hmm. right, and doing some pre mortem, it's no different than a performer, right? Mm -hmm. You have here's what's here's what's you know ideal. Here's the worst case scenario. And then somewhere in the middle is what? The real deal, right. like the real thing. And so we're always going to be at that spot where just when you think the money is getting getting good, you see a dip, right? You see something happen. Everything dips. Relationships dip. Money dips. Business dips. People dip, right? It's what you do with that dip. And I like what you're saying that, hey, I'm going to cut this, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm cutting this ribbon. And oh, baby's born. Hey, man. <laughs> now I'm cutting the un, you know, right. umbilical cord. Yeah. yeah, I said it fast. I was going to say umbilical cord. Yeah, I make sure to say it fast. Umbilical cord. Yeah, yeah. In so. case you were wrong, because <laughs> I was wrong. See? So I tripped over for you, bro. See? You, you broke it down. <laughs> but you know, just like that's the whole thing, and that's reality. Because in in truth, there is no perfect time. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. You know, unless we're going to get so scientific, like entry, like you know, we it would be nice to be that precise in life. To like, you know, they understand orbit, you know, these, you know, NASA guys and what entry is supposed to be and, you know, the pitch and every, I mean, that's, that's like, I get that. And I think that's great, but we would need 
all of those guys multiplied out so many times for us to be able to do that type of exactness mm-hmm. in our lives. And I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, but then again, would you really want that? So it's a real question. Well, so do that, you want all that predictability? I, I don't. And when you think about it, you look, you know, people often say a company before it's time. You know, uh, people will say that all right. the time. And so you think about there are some perfect times and, and it's always retrospective because you say, yeah, if you launched, you know, this company 10 years ago, it would not have adoption. Right. You think about mm-hmm. that as Airbnb and Uber and the sharing economy that doesn't work um, 10, 15 years ago. And right. so it really the, the market had to be prepared for it to an extent. But I don't think that the founders were looking at it saying, yep. 2016, it's yeah, got to be the year. year. According so, to our science. Yeah, according to the science. I think, you know, <laughs> looking back on it, we can always do um, these postmortems and do that. But to your same point, I think about that often. One of the things we talk about a good bit is failure. And I mm-hmm. like to think about the decisions that I make, and it may sound morbid from a startup standpoint, but I like to think about if the decision that I make, if this is the thing that puts us out of business, what was the deci- like? What was I basing that on? Like, right. What information did I have? Right. So I'm constantly thinking about whether it's startups in Greenville or in Silicon Valley. If a company fails, I want to think about, well, what was the thing that allowed them to not succeed, and then how can others learn from that and be better at it? And so, you know, we're working our butts off to make sure the bandwagon's awesome, but we also are making sure that we're going back. You know, Ben and I travel a good bit together. When we go to San Francisco and learn about this stuff, we come back and share it so that. What we learned in six months, someone else can learn in three. Mm-hmm. Or what we learned in a year, someone else can learn in half. And so really trying to figure out how to you know, change that curve of failure. Well, it's funny you say that because I have a thing, and I don't know. I have all these random little things that I come up with. But that's where I tell people my be- or my ocean is your beach. Mm-hmm. And so and I know it doesn't make sense when you first hear it. But think about the tide, how it moves. Right. And every time the tide goes out, things are discovered things that people lost, mm-hmm. right. you know, there's all this stuff that's been moving What's with the, dealing with the undercurrent. Mm-hmm. So let's just say every time the, the ocean went back out, it created more land. Let's just say it just kept doing that. Right. That's the concept that I want to do is I want to say, so maybe I started ankle deep, then I start swimming, I start treading water, it's mm-hmm. just deep, and now I just have to swim, right? right. But I want to do, I want to know that my progression is actually helping to take water to where people can uncover things I've missed, right. things I didn't get, all of that, so they can start in a better place. But you can't just keep all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Your turn. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? exactly. So my ocean becomes somebody else's beach, and I think that's what we want to be able to do because we're going to leave remnants of things that we just didn't see, right. we weren't aware of, or maybe we just failed at. Mm-hmm. But the success is in the fact that we're doing enough for other people to be able to benefit from, right? Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. And I, I want to make sure that I get a chance to hear from Ben on this one too. So um, for you, what has been the most unexpected thing about your journey? Oh, you thought you were going to get away from yeah, it. Yeah, no. <laughs> he was like, so, uh, he was like, I'm done. I'm done. This is good. This is good. So uh, Harold had some initial route of the gate, personal things. He has a baby born, you know, day or two later after ribbon cutting. Um, and T-Forms of the journey had a little bit of a, uh, internal problems. So we had two additional partners in the company that are no longer a part of T-Form. So you have a, basically a, you know, a bee's nest of just stuff going on. It's churning, you're cleaning, you're um, trying to get one partner um, to do what they need to do. And then partner exits, you're trying to clean, you're um, trying to take care of customers. So there's a lot of churn there where you're trying to 
um, you have just a couple of two buckets and a lot of things are leaking and you're trying mm-hmm. to bail as fast as you can. It takes a little bit of time to get everything um, afloat and get the wheels back on the bus. So uh, that was the unexpected journey just right out of the gate was issues internally. And we had to resolve those as fast as we ca- could to stay afloat. And uh, since then, we have uh, basically made enough changes to uh, make the company grow and profitable. So, Ben, I think that that's really um, a great thing for you to share because I think that there are so many people who they think that you know you set all these plans in motion and you they put so much time and energy into making sure that they have the right fit and they've cultivated these great relationships, but. I think it's great for you to put out there. It's okay if you have to say bye to somebody, if that's the right thing for the company. And ultimately, it was probably the right thing for you and you know, and for the people who are still there. So I just appreciate you um, sharing that. Uh, so I'm just curious to know, what advice would each of you offer to your younger selves? What would you tell somebody to that next generation coming up? So my best piece of advice really goes back to the fact that it's important to be aware of where you're at and to focus on blooming where you're planted. And I think that too often times we end up in situations where people are waiting until they get to a certain point to be more successful. It's like, man, on August 1st, I'm going to start that new diet. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. on January 1st, I'm going to start working out better. Or when I get a new job, I'm going to change how I you know, dress for work. And I think that when you think about that, it's really limiting and it's really defeating in your current situation. And so I often want to think about that even from a geo standpoint. We're in Greenville, South Carolina, mm-hmm. which is not startup capital of the world. Um, but there's no reason that it can't be for you. And so I'm, I like to focus on um, – being really intentional on what you're trying to create. And that's the advice I'd be trying to give back to myself or anyone else is really thinking about what can you do where you're at with the resources that you have. I know there's a quote on that, but I'm not going to butcher it. But the whole focus is, is thinking about, okay, you are where you are. What can you do? What resources do you need to bring in? And really just making the best out of the situation. So for for that, it's really, um, that's the most important thing to me about um, even doing the startup and being a new dad or any of those things is that, You've got your resources, you've got your vision or your mission or your goals. What can you execute on to make them as big as possible? It's good. Yeah. <clears throat> Looking back, if I could give uh, advice to a younger self, it's, it's one of those don't give up. You do have a, a hard skill set that you can use. My background is engineering. It is design. It is manufacturing. And rely on the skills that you have. It's going to be, you may not be the best engineer. You may not be the best designer, but you're still an engineer. You're still a designer. Um, rely on that. Keep keep feeding that and keep working on that. You'll have some failure along the way, but uh, just don't give up. Um, keep working through till you, you get to the end goal. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea of don't give up, there's Uh, definitely good things in hard work and perseverance. And I really like that. Focus on blooming where you're planted. Don't Mm -hmm. always think about what I'm going to do when I'm going to do this when. Um, Well, we have really enjoyed having you both here. Thank you so much for um, spending time with us. So it would be great if you could let our listeners know where to find you. Yes. So with football season coming up for all you Gamecocks and Tigers and everyone else, uh, you can check us out on bandwagonfanclub.com. And we are Bandwagon Ticks, T-I-X on Twitter and then Bandwagon Fan Club on Facebook. And you can uh, follow me and the entire team there. And you find me at tformpackaging.com and also parmetric.com. You want to announce some stuff for 
the co-work space? Yeah, so if you're looking for co-working space, uh, we definitely have some space in the West End, and we'll leave a nice teaser because you guys are so uh, great for having us here. Uh, we're working on building out our concept. It's going to be pretty awesome, and we're happy to be staying in the West End. So um, be on the lookout for an opportunity to really bring your talents, whether you're a startup, whether you're a photographer, whether you're a web designer, whether you're a podcaster, all these different things we want to make sure to help make the community and the business world and really tie together. So be on the lookout for that stuff. Yep. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. You have been listening to another episode of UCYP Uphill Conversations with Young Professionals, where we have three goals to elevate the voices of young professionals, to bridge the gap between generations in the workplace, and inspiring our young professionals to lead. <laughs>